You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This morning I want to talk to you about the importance of our testimony. The importance of our testimony. Uh, When we have been in this series in the book of Acts, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul and how the Apostle Paul faced trouble, he faced trials, but he also uses an opportunity to share his testimony. And our testimony is sharing the story of what God's done in our life. Our testimony is sometimes our review of life. When we think about things that have changed our life in some way, we can kind of put our finger on different moments that may have changed our life uh, in some significant way. Your life was one way, and then something happened, and then it just completely turned your life and changed it one way or another. So maybe it was for you, maybe you found the guy or girl of your dreams, and you decided to marry that person, and that person changed your life forever. Your life was completely different after that. You didn't you used to like seafood or go to musicals, and then all of a sudden you do because that person has such an impact on your life and changed you in such a way that you were never the same after that. Maybe it was the moment where you graduated high school and you finally walked across the platform that you've been working so hard to get to, and you received your diploma, or maybe you uh, finished and completed your courses at college or master's, your master's course, and the uh, feeling of that moment where you were finally done with all your hard work and preparation, and that everything that you've learned has made you different. You came into college or high school one way. You came in kind of green and inexperienced, and then all of a sudden you get done with it, and you realize you've learned so much. You've changed your perspective, your feelings, your thoughts on some things, and you are a different person now. Maybe it's because you got a job and you got that job that you were really hoping for and looking for and you found that job and that job kind of changed the course of your life. Or even in a more unique sort of sense, you went out for a job that you were really not interested in but you kind of just needed a job and then you found that job and then you found you really enjoyed doing that and it was something that wasn't even on your radar but now you find yourself just enjoying it, being immersed in that line of work and that's what you do. There are good things in our life, those moments that we can look at and we can say, you know, that changed my life forever. For me, it was the the birth of my son and daughter, and they're older now, but just remember them being born. I remember them being held up to me and allowing me to hold them and show them to my wife after they were born. That's a life-changing moment. And those moments like forever change your perspective, or at least they should, because these are milestones. These are watershed moments in your life. Sometimes the changes in our life don't always, they're not always good. Maybe it's the moment that you had a parent or a spouse pass away, and you realize how different your life is now without them being there. Maybe it's the day you had a serious accident take place, and you realize You can't get around the way that you used to get around. Or the day you got a diagnosis for a particular illness that kind of stayed with you and you've dealt with it and you lived with it and you made the best out of it, but you recognize that your life was different after that moment. Our life changes with big moments that completely steer the course of our life. 
But one thing that we don't often think about is the moment that Jesus came into our life. When you have an encounter with Jesus, this should change everything about your life. When you have an encounter with the living Christ, it should completely alter the way that you think, that you live, that your priorities, your perspective, all those things should completely change the moment that Jesus walks into your life. If you say, well, I haven't changed much, then you really need to get a hold of the fact that you have the living power of God at work in you to change and transform you and to revolutionize your life in a new way. I have a friend on the Cape that 20 years ago I led to Christ, and every so often when we talk on the phone, uh, he's willing to do anything for me, and he expresses his gratitude to me often because I was the one that led him to Jesus. And I just say, man, I, was just, you know, I, do, I, I just wanted you to know. I just wanted you to know who Jesus was. I wanted you to, to experience the love and forgiveness that came along with Christ. You don't owe me anything, but he is so grateful because that moment changed the course of his life forever. And we have to realize, too, that when Jesus comes in, it should make a difference. We should be able to say, I'm different now because of that. We should have a story to tell, a thing to share, that God has made a difference in our life in some way, and we are altered in a good way to serve the Lord and to follow after Him. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the trials of Apostle Paul, this fourth trial. And that when Paul encountered troubles and trials, he always found a way to share his testimony that he found a way to bring a bad situation around to talk about Jesus. And he faced four different trials. In the first trial, we learned about how uh, when you're misunderstood, how to better explain yourself to someone. In his second trial, we learned that, you know, God has enabled us to be wise as serpents but gentle as doves. In other words, we're to be tough on the outside but tender-hearted on the inside. We're to, be, we're to be wise in the way that we think and act towards others, but we're to always be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about how Paul was delayed for two years. He spent uh, just in the palace just being under guard for two years. And how there are times that we experience delays in God's plans. And, God, and those, denial, those delays are not a denial of God's plan for your life. They're not something where God says, I've given up on you. But recognize that in those moments of delay and detour, to use it as a time of preparation for what God wants to do next. This week we'll be talking about his fourth trial, and it's the trial before he heads to Rome. I want to talk to you today about three essential elements of your testimony. Three essential elements of your testimony. And as I'll give them to you, you should really write them down and incorporate them into your story. But we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 25 and 26 today. We're not going to read all the chapters there because it would be a little lengthy. But we want you to just know that's where we're at. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. To give you a little background, when we last left the Apostle Paul, he had just spent two years in Roman custody in the governor's palace in Caesarea. Now a new governor comes into power. His name is Portius Festus, who was a more honorable man than his predecessor, Antonius Felix. The previous governor was not good. This new governor has some morals. He has a a sense of character and, and honor. 
However, there were still people that even after two years hated Paul and wanted to see him dead. And so the chief priests now appeal to a new governor, and they say, you know what? This guy's a troublemaker. This guy is a problem. And so we want you to bring him back to Jerusalem so he can stand trial before our people according to our laws. And so, of course, even though uh, Festus is an a honorable governor, a good governor, he still wants to do a favor to the Jewish people. He still wants to uh, be endeared to them by doing things that would uh, be seen as advantageous to them. And so he wanted to make a good impression upon his subjects. And so he says, you know, he goes up and he asks Paul. He says, Paul, um, would you like to go back to Jerusalem for trial? Now, keep in mind from our previous sermons that there were 40 men that had sworn themselves to kill Paul. I think they had given up on their fasting promise because it had been two years by now. But they were still very much, and there's still a group of people that are very determined to make sure that Paul would die. And the way that that would happen is whenever he was ready to stand trial, they would either find him on the way to the trial or at the actual trial themselves, they would uh, overcome him and they would try and put him to death right on the spot. Now, the Apostle Paul refuses. Instead of being, uh, instead of being brought to Jerusalem, he appeals to bring his case before Caesar himself which is a right that every Roman citizen had, that if you were treated unfairly or if you don't feel like you were getting a fair trial, a Roman citizen had rights that they could appeal even up to Rome itself, kind of a supreme court of sorts. And he says, I'm not going back to Jerusalem, essentially. I'm going forward. Acts 25, 12 says, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, to which the governor says, to Caesar you will go then. And a person who has... Uh, Christ in their life doesn't choose to dwell on the past. They don't choose to go backwards. They always choose to go forwards. A person that loves Jesus and has been received by Jesus and forgiven by Jesus does not look backwards. They look forwards. They stay focused on God's plan for their life. Unsure of what to write the emperor, uh, this governor, Governor Festus, uh, needed to figure out, well, if I'm going to send this guy to my boss, if I'm going to send him to Nero, if I'm going to send him to Caesar, then I need to know what I'm sending him there for. And so it just so happened that King Agrippa and his sister happened to be visiting in the area, and Festus asked them to hear Paul's case and to make a determination of what he should do. Now, I should stop to note that this King Agrippa is Herod Agrippa II. He is the grandson of King Herod who tried to put the baby Jesus to death. He is the son of the Herod that put James the Apostle to death. So as you can imagine, do you think Paul's really going to get a fair trial going before a Herod? Probably not. But nonetheless, Festus says, I'm new to this governorship I'm new to this whole situation, so let me bring someone in that's a little bit more experienced. Let me get their take on it so that we can write what Paul has been accused of and send it to Caesar so they can consider his case. And so both Festus and Agrippa and his sister get to hear Paul's case. One thing to take note of is that Paul always tailored his testimony to whoever was listening. Paul always changed his story 
to be able to accommodate those who are listening. Now, understand what I mean by that. It doesn't mean that Paul made up a different story each time. He's not making stuff up about himself. But instead what he's doing is he's choosing to key in on moments and details that it would be important to the listener. This is something for us to consider when we are trying to share our testimony with someone. When you want to share about Jesus with someone, you need to understand where they're coming from. So Paul, before he speaks to Festus and Agrippa, he notes that Agrippa is the king over the Jewish territories and also is over any disputes that have to deal with the temple. So we know that Herod is uh, well associated with Jewish law. And so Paul uses that as the basis to start his discussion. He starts from there and works his way into it. And that's something for us to understand too, that when you're talking to someone, if they're coming from a place that they don't know who God is, You've got to start with what is known and bring it to the unknown. So I'll give you an example of this. Jesus was well known for this. Jesus always took time to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, he would say he would use a parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he would say, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like farming. And they say, okay, I know about farming. I understand that. Or it's about fishing. They say, okay, well, I know about fishing. I understand that analogy. Or it's about shepherding. Oh, I can understand what it's like. I'm a shepherd. I know what that's about. Or it's about tending a vineyard. And so each time Jesus found a, a touchstone, a connecting point with his listeners that would speak to where they're at and bring them to something that was unknown, which is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so he says, okay, if you understand this concept, then let me bring it a little bit further. And so that should be something that we approach with. Like when we're talking to someone who doesn't know Jesus, we should avoid Christianese. What I mean by that is where we talk about church speak. We have words that we use that are kind of uh, part of our vernacular, but it's not something that's used by many people. And so we have to understand, okay, I need to speak in terms that they understand and bring it to where they are, and to bring them from where they are to where God is. And so we understand that today. Looking at Acts 26, Paul uses his troubles and trials to share his testimony every single time. Whether he was in a riot, or a prison, or on trial, Paul finds a way to give glory to God. I'm going to say that again. Whether Paul found himself in trouble, in trial, in prison, in a riot, He always found a way to bring and give glory to God. Can we say the same thing? That in our trouble, in our trial, in our difficulty, that we are still giving glory to God, or are we finding ways to complain? Are we finding ways to grumble? Are we finding ways to speak against God or becoming like the people that need God the most and we're trying to be like them? We react maybe with anger, we react with choice words, or we react with things that are unbecoming of a Christian, which way are we responding to the situation? There are three things I want you to note about Paul's testimony. Three things that we can incorporate into ours. Now, we should be able, you should always be able to summarize your testimony in about two minutes. Like, wow, that's a lot of pressure, Pastor. Listen, when we've gone on missions trips, one of the things that we were always told when we were going on missions trips is that they would prepare us that you never know when you're going to be called on to share about Jesus and to share about what God's done in your life. 
And you never know, like, who's going to be listening. And so they said, you know, it's important that you know your story and you can break it down in two minutes. Now, some would go longer than that. Some would go much longer than that. So if you're starting with, like, when I was three years old, I lived here. You know that's going to be too long, but there's something to be said about brevity and being to the point when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to sharing your faith with someone. And your testimony should be in such a way that it grabs the attention of the individual and makes them want to know more. So if you could say, you know, there was a point in time I was an agnostic or an atheist like you, but then I came to know Jesus, and I believe that there's a God more so than I've ever believed in anything else in my life. Or if you say, you know, I used to be an addict. You know, I used to smoke five packs of cigarettes a day. I used to be addicted to, you know, heroin or cocaine. Or I used to drink myself to sleep every night. But then I encountered Jesus. And the high that I get from Jesus, the satisfaction and peace that I get from Jesus is greater than any drug or any alcohol could have given me. Something about that makes it go, well, wait a minute. What is about this person's story that I want to know? And so you start there, and then you work your way into the fullness of the story. Three things. Number one, Paul talks about what he used to be like. What he used to be like. It should be noted that Paul, even when he was not a Christian, thought that what he was doing was right. I want you to notice this, okay? When you are sharing Christ with somebody, most people are going about their life not thinking as though that they're bad or evil. I can guarantee you that if you go and talk to people, they don't think of themselves as bad. They don't think of themselves as evil. They don't think of themselves in need of a Savior. So you're already getting a bit of a disadvantage there because if you think to yourself like, well, okay, uh, you know, these people are bad and they need help and they, they need Jesus and they should recognize that they need Jesus. They don't. Paul, before he became a Christian, he thought he was doing the right thing. Now, keep in mind, he was persecuting Christians. He was having them thrown in prison, beaten, and put to death because he was so zealous for his religious faith that he said, these people deserve to die. And he thought he was doing the right thing. Paul talks about who he was before he believed. Take a look at verse 2 with me in Acts chapter 26. He says, I think, and so he's brought before Festus and Agrippa, and he's allowed to speak And so Paul says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused of by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently the manner of my life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among you on the nation of Israel at Jerusalem, all Jews know. They knew me from the first And if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand and I am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Continuing onward. To this promise to our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible that by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself must also do many things contrary, uh, I thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. 
And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to the very foreign cities. I want you to think about that for a moment. Paul is very aware of what he used to be. He is aware of his past failures, his past sin. He talks about his past, how he was zealous for his religion. He was highly educated, well-respected, and of noble birth. Paul had a lot to be proud of, but he was woefully and completely lost in the sight of God. Paul didn't think of himself as a bad person. He was just a lost person. You know, shame and pride can keep us from coming to Jesus, or it can lead us to him. When we look at our past, shame and pride are almost two sides of the same coin. On one, the one side, pride says, I have need of nothing. I don't need anything or anyone. And shame says, I'm not good enough to be wanted by anyone or to have need of anything. I don't deserve either of these things. Pride says, I have need of no one. Shame says, no one wants me, no one loves me. But the gospel says that we can be forgiven and loved and born again. Don't forget your past. Remember where God's brought you from. You know, those moments will keep you humble when you don't forget where you came from. Paul was a, an apostle used mightily by God to see people saved and set free and to use him in the work of healing and raising the dead. And yet, Paul remembers where he came from. He often wrote in his letters, he said, you know, I'm the, I was at once the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. And that he considered himself the least of the apostles because he persecuted the church, 1 Corinthians 15.9. But don't let your past keep you from focusing on your future. Remember where God has brought you from, but don't forget where you're going. Remember where God has brought you from, but don't forget where you're going. So the first element of your testimony is uh, talking about the way that you used to be, talking about your past. But the second part is talk about when you encountered Jesus. When did you, when did you encounter Jesus? When did you meet Jesus? When did you give your heart to Jesus? When were you born again? Take a look at verse 12 through 18. It says, While thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? Now, if you're wondering why it says Saul, is that before Paul became a Christian, before he was converted, he was known as Saul. His name was changed to reflect his newfound faith. But he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? And so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and witness of both the things that you have seen and the things that will re get revealed to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they might receive forgiveness of sins as an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
Paul can, relays his conversion experience. This is something that you can look up fairly easily. If you look at Acts chapter 9, you can read it. You know, if you look at, uh, he tells a story in Acts 22 in defense before the Pharisees. He says it again here in Acts chapter 26. We also see that in Galatians 1 verses 11 through 24, Paul knew his testimony. He shared his testimony. And he talked about what happened. He said, I was literally on my way to Damascus to put Christians in prison and to death. And along the road, I was blinded by a great light and I fell down and the, I heard a voice from heaven speaking to me in the Hebrew la- language saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus. And then if you were to read Acts 9, you would see that God gave him instructions to go wait in a house and that God was going to speak to a man named Ananias to go and visit Saul, the persecutor of Christians, and pray for him that he would be healed. And Ananias struggled with that. He wrestled with that idea of going to and speaking to this notorious persecutor of the church. But he obeyed God, and when Ananias prayed for Saul and laid his hands on him, Saul was able to see again because the light had struck him blind. But all of a sudden, he was healed from his blindness, and Saul immediately became a Christian and was baptized in the name of Jesus. And shortly thereafter, he became a preacher of the gospel. Like as soon as he became a Christian, he was out in the synagogues and the temple preaching, and people go, wait a minute, isn't that the guy that used to persecute the church? Isn't that the person that used to, you know, uh, drag Christians off to prison and have them beaten and killed? Wasn't that the same guy? In fact, the, the, the disciples and the apostles, they didn't believe that Saul actually converted to Christianity. They thought that he was narking on them. They thought that he was like pretending to be an undercover Christian so they could gain their trust and then infiltrate the church from the inside and take them all off to prison. It actually took them a long time to embrace and trust Paul. And it wasn't until the apostle Barnabas came along and said, you know, this guy's good, he's with me. And then all of a sudden the church accepted him for who he was. But think about this here. Saul remembered what he was, Paul remembered what he was like before he became a Christian. He could tell you the day, the time, the circumstances, the situation. He could tell you everything about what happened in that moment. And he was able to break it down with detail. And sometimes he would be short in his testimony. Other times he would be long in his testimony. But he was always able to say, this is the day that my life changed forever. This is the day that I became a Christian. And each of us, we should recognize that there's a moment in our life when Jesus comes into our life, and that's, there should be a point where we're talking about our life B.C. and A.D. I know they don't use those anymore. It was B.C.E. and A.C.E. I think that's what they use now in the textbooks. But there was a point where time was divided into to time before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And that's how time was broken down. But there was a time in our life that was before Christ. There was a a way that we used to live, a way that we used to talk that wasn't Christian. But then there was a day that you gave your heart to Jesus, and you should be able to remember where you were. Were you in your room praying and God spoke to you? Were you at a church service? What day was it? You know, who was preaching? What happened? What were you experiencing at that moment? What were you feeling? You should be able to write those down with detail. If you're saying, well, pastor, I don't remember that then ask someone who is there. If you don't remember it, 
Find some time alone with the Lord and reflect upon it. You should be able to have that day. Listen, John chapter 3, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, well, how can I be born again? I'm old. But Jesus wasn't talking about being physically born again. He was talking about being spiritually born again. And when we accept Christ as Savior, we're forgiven of all of our sins, and we're given a new life in Christ, and that's your spiritual birthday right there. You should be able to look at that date and say, I remember this date in 1973, or I remember this date in 1995, or I remember this date in 2015, and I know where I was, what I was doing, and where God got a hold of my life. And you know that, and that's part of your story. In fact, that's the biggest part of your story right there. If you just simply say to somebody, listen, you know, um, I'm just religious. Because that's what people think. You go to church on Sunday. You're here on Sunday. You're not golfing, right? You're not getting early to the buffet or the hash house at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning. Or you're not mowing your lawn or you're not doing yard work at this time of the day. And people go, why are you going to church? And they immediately assume you're going to church because you're just religious, Or because your parents raised you that way. But you need to include this part of the story. Because we're not just talking about a religion. We're talking about a relationship. We're not just talking about piety. We're talking about a person. We're talking about Jesus and his influence in our life. And you can't leave that part out of the story. It has to be center stage. Otherwise, you're just a good person. Listen, we're not talking about believing in God. If someone believes in God, we think, well, they're a Christian. Survey results tell us that 70 to 80% of this country think that there is a God. Has our country reflected the fact that people believe in God? Because God means different things to different people. So they say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Well, they must be a Christian. No. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, who is Jesus? That's a different discussion entirely. Listen, if we all have friends that we love to hang around with, we introduce them to people. Say, oh, you got to meet my friend. He's so funny. He's so outgoing. When we ever go somewhere, it's just a blast to be around them. But Jesus is somebody we don't introduce people to. It's like, oh, I, I'm a Christian, but shh, shh. Jesus, just stay at, stay at living hope and close the door. <laughs> you know, we don't let him out into our conversations. We don't let him out into our situations. We don't let him out into our workplace and stuff. Listen, you got to be careful. I get it. You got to be careful about where you talk about Jesus. But if somebody asks you about Jesus, guess what? They want to know. And that's a different discussion entirely. Or if you're out on your lunch break, you can talk about Jesus on your lunch break because you're not on company time at that point. You understand what I'm saying is that Jesus is part of the story. He's part of your story too. Third part of the testimony is this, how Paul is different now. Paul's different now. Verses 19 through 29. You know, sometimes there are things that can change your life forever. And Paul talks about how his life was changed by Jesus. Paul brings it home in verse 19. He says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but to declare to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they all should repent and turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. These reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me, therefore having obtained help from God. This day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things other than what the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and will proclaim rights to the light to the people and the Gentiles, verse 24, continuing onward. 
Now, as he made this defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Your much learning is driving you mad or crazy. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak words of truth and reason. For the king before, whom I also speak freely, knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention, since this thing was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And then Agrippa said to King, uh, king Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would that not only you, but all who hear me today, that it might come, become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Agrippa said, you almost convinced me to become a Christian. Paul said, you know, I, I want to share with you how I'm different now. I've changed. I used to persecute Christians, but now I am a Christian. I used to hate Christians, now I love Christians. I used to uh, try and silence those that preach the gospel, now I'm a preacher of the gospel. And there should be moments in your life where you talk about what happened and the difference that's been made in your life. Paul, when he preached, he went everywhere telling everybody about the change that Jesus had made in his life. His life made an impact. Some hated him, others loved him, but no one could deny the difference that took place in his life. When people see you, they should look at you and go, and they should ask the question, what is different about you? They shouldn't like all of a sudden recognize, like, I see no change. Now, I'm not talking about like you're weird, or you're odd, or any of those things like that. It's just like you just, you know, you might listen to different music now. You know, you might like to go to church a little bit more often. You might like to help people a little bit more frequently. And people go, well, wait a minute. What's going on with you that you're different in this way? Or taking the opportunity to talk about the difference that Christ has made in your life. The Bible tells us that if anyone's in in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I don't count myself to have already apprehended it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching towards those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When we have a new beginning in Jesus, we don't have to keep looking to our past. We don't have to keep looking to our shame and our guilt, and our regret. If anything, we can look into our past and say, thank God for what you saved me from. Thank God that I'm different than what I used to be. And that your life should reflect the gratitude of one whose life has been changed. When someone comes into your life, they change it. When you get married, your life changes. When a new son or daughter comes into your life, your life changes. When you get a new job, your life changes. You adjust to the change and you become different. Who you are at your core is still the same, but you act, you think, you, your mannerisms are different. When we become a Christians, we must recognize we're not the same person we used to be. We're a new creation with a new beginning, forgetting the old ways of things and walking in newness of life. But understand that if you're going to walk in newness of life, it's not just about being a Christian and coming to, to a church and say, okay, I'm a Christian now. It's about choosing to live as a follower of Jesus. What that means is that you're intentional about your growth as a Christian. If nothing's changed about you, then no one's going to have any idea that there's any difference in your life. 
How do you know there's a difference in your life when the things that you used to do so easily and so frequently now bother you? You hear certain words, oh, it bothers you. You see violence on movies and TVs that you used to think nothing of, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't know if I can watch that. Or you hear music and you're like, I can't believe the lyrics in this song. Or you're out doing things and your friends are like, hey, come on, do stuff with us and do the things that you used to do. And then you're like, you know, I I just don't want to do that anymore. Let me prepare you that you will lose friends over this. Or you could bring them to Jesus too. That would help as well. But there are times where people don't understand the change in your life and it may cause some division there. Sometimes in your own family. But you have to ask yourself, is what you've found in Jesus worth it? And the answer to that is yes. Is eternal life worth it? Yes. Is it worth it for someone else to know about it? Absolutely. But we have to be willing to share and change and to do what God wants us to do in our life. The power of your testimony. When you share what Jesus has done in your life, it's not just your story anymore. It's his story too. When you share about the power of what God's done in your life, it's not just your story, it's his story too. When you talk about what God's done, it demonstrates the life-changing power of Jesus. It lets people know that miracles can happen. It lets people know that freedom is possible. It lets people know that change is possible. There is freedom for those who are captives. There is hope for those who are in despair. There is healing for those who are broken because Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. I want you to think about this. Wherever you are, there Jesus is. Because we receive Jesus inside us when we believe. So wherever you are, the presence of God is there. We're scared sometimes. What, what, you know, what if they don't listen? What if they reject? What if I lose a friendship? Jesus is there with you. Because where you are, he is. Because you have him inside of you. The spirit of God lives inside of you. Now keep in mind the response and reactions can sometimes range. Remember, Ephesus is like, you're nuts. You are absolutely crazy. And you might hear that. People are like, you are absolutely crazy. He says, you've learned, you're, you are such a scholarly individual that you've read so much and learned so much that it's driven you crazy. Some people might think that you're crazy. King Agrippa says, with a sense of an air of resistance and skepticism and sarcasm, he says, you almost convinced me. You think you can convince me to become a Christian? And Paul says, Yes. You see, here's something that we need to get a hold of, and I'll just wrap this up as we're getting ready to uh, close the service here. I I want you to think about something for a minute. Is that oftentimes when it comes to sharing about Jesus with people, we're calculated. We say, this person is pretty receptive. They're kind of religious. I know they go to church. I know they were raised in a certain faith. We say, well, that person might be receptive to hearing the gospel. And so we kind of pick and choose and are selective about who hears it and who doesn't. Because we don't want to be in a situation where we get rejected. But 
Agrippa says, do you think you can really convince me to be a Christian? Like, Paul is saying to himself, yes, I do think I can. In fact, I wouldn't even be bothering to share it with you if I didn't think there was a possibility that you might believe. But Paul would say, you know what, this is only about me here. And all I'm concerned about is about my legal defense. And I was innocent of those things and never mentioned Jesus. But Paul says, I'm going to mention the purpose of why I'm here. I'm going to talk about Jesus because that's a central part of who I am and who, what my life is. And he didn't care that he's talking to a, a Roman governor and a Jewish king in a lineage of kings who had killed, tried to kill Jesus and they killed the apostle James and now could quite possibly kill him too. He didn't care like, well, these people are far from Jesus and I'm not going to share that with them. I want you to think about something too. I just had this realization as I was studying for this. Paul wants to go see Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. I want to share with Caesar. Do you know what Caesar is in power right now? Which Caesar is currently over the Roman Empire? It's the Roman Emperor Nero, who during the the late 50s to the early 60s AD was a massive persecutor of Christians. Uh, So ruthless and brutal was his attack on Christians that he would have them thrown to lions or burned at the stake or used in sport in the Colosseums. In fact, he says that what uh, Nero would do is that he would often kill Christians and he would have them uh, be used as torches for his dinner parties in his garden at night. That's the kind of man that, that Paul wants to go, I want to talk to that guy. I want to appeal to Rome so that I can go visit him. Because why? Because Paul thought that the gospel is just compelling enough that it could make a difference in that person's life. That no one was, that when he was speaking, no one was wasted space or wasted time. That he could speak and he said, you know what? No one's too far to be able to reach. You know why he thought that way? Because he was that way. If you asked any Christian in the early church, they said, who is the least likely person to become a Christian most of them would probably say, that guy who likes to, you know, try and throw us in jail and put us to death and, you know, that guy, that, that Saul of Tarsus, that's the guy that, no one can reach that guy. I mean, he's a Pharisee, he's well-educated, he's of noble birth, he's a Roman citizen, he has everything going for him, and he's very convinced of what he believes. And it's completely contrary to the gospel. And yet God still did. So what does that tell us? It tells us that the power of our testimony should not be limited to just those who we think are good candidates for it. That person would make a really good Christian. We don't often know. Sometimes there are people that are pretty terrible that become really great Christians. But if we're only looking for the people that are like us or are good, then we're going to have some problems. Now listen, use some common sense, okay? Don't get yourself killed or like, you know, beat up because you're sharing Jesus with somebody. I'm just saying to you that in the people in your life, who are the people that are least likely to accept Christ? And if Paul was saying, I don't mind sharing it with Felix and Festus and Agrippa, and I'll go share it with Nero if I need to, because I believe that the power of the gospel is just strong enough to be able to make a difference in someone's life. Can we bow our heads? This morning, I want you to know today there's life-changing power in the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this morning, there's a moment for each of us where we can look upon our life and say, you know what? I can remember the day I came to Christ. I remember the time, the place, the location. I remember when Jesus became real to me.
But if you're sitting here today and you're listening to the sound of my voice and you say, you know, Pastor, I've never had that decision. I, I can't recall a day where I actually chose to become a Christian and, became, and follower, became a follower of Jesus. You don't remember your spiritual birthday. Can I tell you today that if you've never had one, today could be your day. Today could be your birthday in the faith right now. And that you could choose to follow Jesus. And just like he said to Nicodemus, that you must be born again and that we have a new life in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. So this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. With no one looking around, with no one uh, checking people out, I just want to ask you just real quickly, say, today I want to become a Christian. I want to choose to follow Jesus and make a decision to follow him, and that today would be that spiritual birthday that Pastor was talking about. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Giving you an opportunity here between you and God, I want to become a Christian. I want to be able to say today is the day that made a difference. I want to be able to look back on April 25th, 2021, at 11.35 a.m., that that's the day that I became a Christian, and that's the day of my life changed forever. And let's pray. God, I pray today that as we've been about you today, as we've learned, Lord, about the Apostle Paul in this testimony, I pray you would help each of us to go home and to think about what you've done in our life and to be able to articulate it well, to be able to say to people, yes, I believe in Jesus, and this is what he's done in my life, and to be able to show others that change is possible, hope is possible, freedom is possible in Jesus Christ. And I pray that not only that we would experience it today, we would live it, and that we'd be able to share it with others. And I pray that there would be those who listen, who receive and respond to the testimony of those gathered here. Lord, that they would remember what they used to be, when they met you, and how they're different now. And I pray, Lord, that they would be able to speak that clearly and convincingly for your purposes and for your kingdom. I also pray for those that maybe are stuck in their past, They can't get past their past failures or problems. I pray today that they would walk in newness of life, that we're to remember where we came from, but we're not to stay there. We're to keep moving forward in you. So bring healing, bring restoration, bring grace and forgiveness, that they would be able to forgive themselves because you've already forgiven them. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.